Welcome to Drilling Deep. I'm your host, John Kingston. I am recording this from the Gartner Supply Chain Symposium in Orlando. It's a gigantic meeting of supply chain executives, about 2,700 of them. It's the first time this meeting has been held in three years, and it apparently is the biggest ever. I used the opportunity here at Gartner to do an interview for today's podcast with two executives from visibility provider Four Kites. Fab Braska and Mark Delaney are both executives with Four Kites, and they will be with us in a few moments to talk about what companies like theirs learned during the pandemic about visibility and what they are doing to meet the demands of customers as a result of this new era. I'm not going to review the price of oil here at the start of the podcast like I've been doing for the past several weeks. I'd rather talk about something old and something new that has to do with the price, but it's not the price itself. And amazingly, what's old and what's new is the same thing. This podcast began in December 2019, and I will bet that on some of the early ones, I talked about something called IMO 2020. IMO stands for the International Maritime Organization, and IMO 2020 is a rule that went into effect from the IMO at the start of 2020, and it required marine fuel to have significantly less sulfur content than had been the case previously. Years ago, ships could burn the dirtiest, most sulfur-laden stuff out there on the market. The restrictions on sulfur began to come down in steps over the years, and the IMO 2020 rule that went into effect on January 1st of that year was the strictest of all. It required marine fuel to be no more than 0.5% sulfur. To put that in perspective, it would not have been unusual years ago to find sulfur, sulfur content of 4 or 5% in marine fuel. The reason that the new restriction was important to the diesel market is that one of the major ways of getting to comply with that rule was to take the molecules that are now used to make diesel and divert some of them into making the new very low sulfur fuel oil that was compliant with IMO 2020. Under the old rules, what was known as the bottom of the barrel, which is really the stuff left over after you refine crude and get gasoline, diesel, and other products, that bottom of the barrel was used for a variety of uses. But one of them was to power ships. That was not going to be possible under IMO 2020. So as 2020 approached, there were all sorts of fears that diesel prices were going to be driven higher. And then, of course, the pandemic hit, and all those forecasts fell by the wayside. It's not that they were wrong. It's just that they really couldn't get a test during the pandemic. Increasingly, though, as the price of diesel continues to climb to levels well above the gains in crude or gasoline, and that's what's going on now, there is a growing consensus that IMO 2020 is finally having its impact. It just is having it two years after it was supposed to happen. It's hard to measure volume in numbers. Marine fuels have always had sort of sketchy statistics on how much is being used, and we can't know whether what is being used is a distillate-based fuel, whether it's high sulfur fuel oil that can be burned because the ship has a structure known as a scrubber to capture the sulfur emissions, or whether a ship had always burned a diesel-like product called marine gas oil. We just really don't know. But we do know that the spread of diesel to everything else has soared. And while we can always cite tight refining capacity as a reason, the spread between diesel and gasoline has blown out as well. Through 2021, the futures price of RBOB, which is an unfinished gasoline product that is traded really as a proxy for gasoline, That spread was consistently above, well, excuse me, gasoline was consistently above the futures price of ultra-low sulfur diesel. That has reversed, and diesel is now well above RBOB. There are several reasons why this could be. 
the loss of Russian supplies of diesel, as we know, Russia is a big supplier of diesel, that loss is certainly a factor. The potential loss of some gasoline demand because of high prices that aren't matched by a drop in diesel demand also is probably at play here. I think everybody agrees there's some demand destruction going on in gasoline and probably none at all in diesel. But what should be concerning to diesel consumers is that you may be seeing the impact of IMO 2020 now arriving after a two-year delay. The factors that people were concerned about back in 2019 did not disappear. They just got delayed, but they aren't delayed anymore. And they're largely permanent. The reality is you're going to need distillate molecules to get enough marine fuel of low enough sulfur content to meet the IMO 2020 specifications. It may be that while diesel may move up and down relative to crude, it certainly will, IMO 2020 has lifted its value to crude and gasoline forever. That is definitely something to keep in mind. We're going to move on here on Drilling Deep, as we always do at this point. And we are recording this from the floor of the Gartner Supply Chain Symposium in Orlando. Gartner is a consulting company with an enormous business and consulting with various parts of people and companies involved in the supply chain. And it gives Drilling Deep a perfect opportunity to catch up with some of the biggest players in the field. One of them is Four Kites. When I walked out onto the uh, exhibition floor or exposition floor, I guess I would say, I think Four Kites was one of the first booths I saw. Um, and uh, Four Kites, various visibility platforms take on, check me on this, guys, 2.5 million data points every day yep, that's uh, from all points of the supply chain. So with me today here from Four Kites are Fab Braska. He is the executive vice president of industry and market strategy at Four Kites, and Mark Delaney, the vice president of global industry strategy for the retail sector. Thanks for taking time out of the conference and joining us here today on Drilling Deep. Thank well, you. Very Thank you I will. Much. I will let you do the elevator speech. I always try to have my guests talk about their own job and what their company does, rather than uh, me doing it for them. So, Fab, why don't you talk about Four Kites, which of course is a very well-known and big name, but yeah. it is it is so massive and it is getting so much bigger and pushing into so many other things that I think we need an update on what it does. No, yeah, thanks, John, and thanks for taking the time to have us this morning. So, Four Kites is one of the leaders in uh, this world of real-time visibility. So we collect information, data from you know various providers and nodes around the world. You know, um, originally focused on you know transport uh, across different modes, ocean, you know, ground transport, air. Um, but over the last couple of years, we've been collecting other data points, other nodes in in uh, in the supply chain ecosystem like ports and so on. And we take that data and we apply uh, you know machine learning AI to it, come up with. ETAs, predictive ETAs, other analytics that allow you know shippers, logistics providers to be able to get a handle on their supply chains and start to anticipate uh, disruptions and put in you know um, uh, mitigating strategies to be able to to deal with them actively. You know, I mentioned walking the exposition floor, and when I first came in uh, on Sunday, I guess uh, when I walked the floor. Monday. It was interesting. One of the first booths I saw, and I don't know it was yours, said something about an Excel spreadsheet, you know, like moving away from an Excel spreadsheet onto a better system. And I thought to myself, it's sort of amazing. Like that's still a thing. Right. Like, like in your marketing, you still have to convince people to move away from the Excel spreadsheet. Meanwhile, I've sat at some meals here with supply chain managers of various companies. And you can tell just by the way they discuss, I mean, they are so far down the line in terms of advanced use of technology. 
this is a field where you've got people just absolutely locked in the past and people who are on the cutting edge. How do you get those people out of the past? Well, so, you know, I think uh, you got to start with, you know, my experience, I've been in the supply chain technology space for almost 30 years. And I think in any type of wave of innovation, you have to start with a handful of leaders in, in, in industry. So, you know, those companies that are a little bit more forward thinking. And if you can start with them and use them as the proving ground to, to you know, to forward that, you know, any type of innovation, then, you know, that creates the groundswell. If you think about it, if you, if you use automotive as an example, right, all the latest technologies always starts at, you know, start with the, the high-end cars and then it becomes pervasive across the industry. We see the same thing in supply chain technology. So you see, you know, leaders adopt and innovate. Uh, although nowadays, quite honestly, with the way uh, innovation is, is accelerating, sometimes you see disruptors, uh, you know, leading the charge instead of the, the, the large organizations. But there's always someone that leads the charge. And then it becomes pervasive. Right. You were, um, I don't know if you were both at the last meeting, which was three years ago. Um, and things have, a lot of things have happened in the interim. What are some of the biggest changes in visibility in the three years since this group last met? Well, I think there's two pieces, right? Number one, um, you know, COVID happened, right? So, you know, the elephant in the room, so to speak. And I think from a technological standpoint, that was the equivalent of throwing lighter fluid on patient change, right? So all of a sudden, there's a huge wave of adoption and investigation of new technology. So that's number one. Number two is the labor issue, right? And that is not going away. So Excel spreadsheets are great as long as you have a human being to look for, them, right? But in this day and age, you just can't find people to even work in stores, to work in warehouses, whatever. So the pace of changes was accelerating that much faster. So from the time that we sat here two and a half, three years ago, whatever it was, to now, it's just been almost like a rocket ship taking off in terms of the pace of change. So do you still get calls and people reaching out to you saying, I'm still using an Excel spreadsheet, but I hear you guys are pretty good. What can you do for me? I mean, is, is it really at that level? Yeah, no, you you still have that continuum. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, not only our space, but again, I, I've seen that throughout my entire supply chain, you know, technology uh career where you know you just have some that you know haven't uh, haven't focused on on technology and innovation but as mark said the interesting thing about what we've lived through is the last couple of years is where technology used to be something that you might look at you know if you were a little bit more advanced you had a good roadmap for it with all the disruption uh, companies were forced to accelerate their digital strategy they, they really had no choice it's become table stakes now at the same time, this is a highly competitive field of visibility. There are a lot of providers of visibility. Of course, you're one of the leaders. Um, and ultimately, I, I hate to say you all do the same thing. You don't. But it would seem to me that the differences are really kind of on the edge. You can offer a particular service, but maybe there's a service that somebody else offers that you're not there yet. You have to innovate constantly to yeah. keep up, to make your service. So how is that pace of innovation going? And what are the differences between, you know, what are the kind of things that let's say fork, I'm going to give you a chance for an advertisement here, sure. but I think it's, I think it's illustrative of, of how competitive it are. Like, for example, what do you do that others can't do? Yeah, no. And it's, this is really timely that we're doing this at Gartner because they just released, um, you know, their critical capabilities for this space or critical capabilities uh, study or paper along with the magic quadrant. And um, in that critical capabilities, they actually define, um, you know, five levels of maturity or use cases. So one being the simplest and five being the most complex. And, you know, we lead in capability in the top three. 
So, you know, in the most, you know, from the, the mid to the most complex in, uh, in, in terms of supply chain complexity. So what really sets us apart, one is the scope of the network. And then two is the fact that we do, not only do we cover all of these modes, but we do provide that single pane of glass where a lot of providers are very single threaded. You can take a look at air, you can take a look at ocean, but you can't look at those things together. We can see that within one platform, which is really important when you start to want to drive insights and action, um, you know, from this this world of visibility. And then the third is we we also have an eye towards um, expansive kind of app-based capabilities that consume that data. It's not just about the intelligent data, but it's also about the apps that you can layer on that's, that complement other you know, capabilities in the industry. And if I have to uh, throw a last one, it's really around our investment in AI and ML. Um, we have patents in, in our, uh, on our predictive ETA uh, approaches, and that's really differentiated us in the marketplace. Is this an industry then that's ripe for consolidation? Because as I listen to you, I would think that the minor players, the smaller players in the visibility field uh, would have to invest so much technologically to keep up with the leaders that at a certain point they say, we just can't do it. And we bring a lot to the table. We bring our customer base. Maybe we're better off being part of somebody bigger. I mean, is this an industry that is just built to trend toward consolidation? Probably, yeah. And, yeah, and I think the thing that also uh, sort of distinguishes us from the crowd, so to speak, is we also understand that our customers have other technological advances that they're trying to advance right. at the same time, right? So we have a lot of experience working with TMS, WMS, et cetera, right? It's not feasible to just say, I'm going to take on one project and everything else just falls by the wayside, right? You have to be able to, to adapt in real time, right? And that's the experience that we have working with our team to be able to do these integrations quickly but methodically so that the customer can still do their business at the same time, if that makes sense. Okay. Mark, you were in the retail sector. I don't know if I can think of an industry that's been more battered by the battered and done well. I don't know. I don't even know what the, the word to describe it over the last few years. They obviously were dealing with uh, brick and mortar stores. were dealing with Amazon and e-commerce issues. Uh, then you had, it looked like nobody was going to buy anything. And then everybody wanted to buy everything. Uh, this is all in, let's say, a three-year period. What's been the reaction in terms of uh, adding on visibility functions uh, in the retail sector. Well, I mean, you know, I mean, if you think about what happened to them in the beginning, we have to give these retailers credit, right? They had to go around from a plexiglass, deal with disinfectants, take care of their associates, take care of their customers in the store. That was huge, and that happened within the course of weeks, sometimes days, for many of these retailers, right? And at the same time, e-commerce, all of us did something crazy, right? Instead of walking around a grocery store with a shopping cart, we just said, you know what, I'm going to pick it up with a curb, or I want to deliver it to my home. So all of that labor, right, going back to the labor crisis, all that labor is now forced on the retailer, and it's very difficult to make money on e-commerce. Very, very difficult, right? And the other thing that sort of factors in is what I call the Amazon effect, right? We seem to have come to this place where we all expect everything within 48 hours, right? Now, I could argue you don't necessarily need everything within 48 hours, right? But we as consumers have just become so used to that that now it's incumbent on the retailer to figure out how to do that. And from a visibility standpoint, the worst customer experience that you could possibly have is I go to a customer, or sorry, I go to a retailer's website and I order this, 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 and this. Well, when the order arrives or where I go to pick up the order, I'm shorted two or three items. Right? So not having the visibility to where those items are within the supply chain leads to a very bad customer experience. And if there's one thing that COVID did was it destroyed loyalty. Right? Because now all of a sudden we were shopping at different retailers and different modes that we never did before. We were like, wow, I've never been in this store because I just 
came customarily didn't shop it, but I like it. This is a good experience. And so these poor retailers who have built up loyalty programs over the years all of a sudden have to take a giant reset button and compete for our business again. And without the visibility to where products are at any point in time, that puts them behind the eight ball right away. Did you see the retail business at uh, at Forkite grow significantly during the pandemic? Yes, and also the amount of interest from retailers has grown significantly throughout the pandemic. And I think it's only just now that they're taking sort of a deep breath and saying, okay, you know, now i got to figure it out. Because what happened was when this all first hit, we thought this was, oh, we'll lock down for four or six weeks and then we'll get back to normal. It's been two years. All right. So, John, we're not doing things the way we used to do. E-commerce is sticky now, right? So we're not all of a sudden going to go back to grabbing a shopping cart and walking around a grocery store anymore when I've been having it delivered to my curb or delivered to the car or home, you know, for the last two years. That's what these retailers are coming back up for air now and saying, okay, I got to get this right. And that's where we come in. Pat, what are some of the other industries that you think uh, you, where you've had the biggest impact, where you find them, you find that they've changed the most over the last two to three years? Well, it's interesting. We we're just talking about retail. Um, you know, one of the things that we've been very focused on that we've been in our innovate around, so around uh, retail and CPG together, is this notion that we we call network visibility. And so, when you think about a CPG company or retailer, when they apply this type of technology. Um, the, Let's just interrupt, and for yeah. those who don't know, CPG consumer. Sorry, consumer package goods. Yes, you know, that's fair, fair. Um, when they apply this type of technology, let's say connecting to their transportation management system, they're typically only applying it to the freight that they control, right? That's governed under under their, their network. But there's a whole bunch of other freight that they don't control. So if I'm a retailer, all the prepaid freight isn't you know, isn't being, isn't being tracked or considered. And so we've, we've introduced this notion of collaboration across, especially since most, you know, they're all our customers of collaboration um, across those marketplaces so that a retailer and a consumer goods uh, company can now share their moves, see a common view of the entire network. And that makes, that's, that's impactful because if I'm a, for example, retailer dealing with inventory issues, the inventory issues don't just apply to, you know, the modes I control. It applies to my whole network. So was this, uh, I, I literally, as you started to answer that question, I was thinking that the next question I was going to ask was about the network effect. So, well, prior to that, prior to those capabilities, was everybody kind of siloed then? 100%. Absolutely. And a lot of in in industries operate that way. Um, so we targeted this, you know, CPG retail because it was the most, the closest to being ready to collaborate and and that problem is is a big pain point, but we see this applying to almost virtually every industry. So in the past, I would guess. Let me see if I'm interpreting this correctly. Sure. Uh, the retailer, let's say, is buying a you know ten pallets of, of CPG Good X. They would not see that in their system until it actually like was physically delivered. If it was prepaid okay. free, yes, right. And but now they can see it as it's moving through the CPG manufacturer's system as well. That's right. That's correct. And and what's the counter on this? How long ago was this feature? Uh, we put this in place, I guess, a couple of years ago. But we um, we uh, the, always the trick is to get a couple of key anchor customers. And so we have a you know a major one. I think I can say their name, right? Yeah. yeah, Sam's Club is one of the you know key anchor customers. Uh, yeah, I hear they sell a few goods. Yeah, Sam's they're Club. they're they've done pretty well. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, so, what are some of the next areas you'd want to target for that kind of network effect? Well, you know, we'd love to be able to start to branch out across multiple industries, right? So, you know, obviously, consumer goods and, and retail is an obvious one, but 
the various manufacturing industries, everybody has a challenge with their inbound freight, right? So to be able to bring suppliers and manufacturers together, bring the various aspects of, of distribution together, I think there's there's an incredible opportunity for, again, more of these you know hub customers to come into play and help drive that collaboration. And I think the, you know, just to add on to that a little bit, you see an obvious impact on labor allocation, right? I mean, it's somewhat crazy in 2022, right, that a receiver or a store manager is literally waiting at the back door for a truck, not knowing when it's going to show up. That's just sort of bonkers when you can't even get people to work in the store, right? So the fact that they can now know, okay, that truck was delayed, but I know it's going to be two hours delayed, so I can reallocate my labor accordingly to make the best use of that fresh labor that I do have has a huge impact on the bottom line, You recently signed a deal with a company called Narvar. Am I pronouncing it correctly? Narvar. Okay. Uh, in the announcement, you said that the partnership will, quote, provide retailers with increased supply chain visibility of their goods from the first to the last miles of transit. First of all, maybe you can talk a little bit about what Narvar does. And are these the sorts of deals where it's a key part of the growth strategy to find more and more partners who can provide data into your visibility solutions? Okay. <laughs> yeah. No. So, so you know, in this space, and I would say supply chain technology as a whole, there's always this this notion, if, you know, you can't do everything yourself. You're you're looking for partnerships. You're, you you want to participate in the ecosystem. Quite honestly, just like the ecosystem exists on our, you know, the app ecosystem exists on our phone. So we're always looking for partners to fill out aspects of of what we do. Narvar has been a great partner, helping us with the you know the last mile you know uh, type of um, area of the supply chain continuum where. Typically, we've been very focused on the first or mid mile. Um, last mile has been an area of, of opportunity for us, so we've been partnering uh, with them to shore that up and, and add those types of capabilities. So we, again, we could provide a single view, um, you know, if, particularly for those types of uh, so what, retail what, use cases. What would happen in the past if you, you 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 I guess you had last mile information, but maybe it was weak. You had some holes in it, or or we didn't, or for a lot of our customers, they were focused more upstream than they were at the last mile. I see. So you're, a good was going through the system to the final customer in the last mile, but at a certain point, your system would kind of almost shut down, not shut down, but would cut off information flow? Yeah. If you think about the way, you know, let's say a retailer or, or a manufacturer look at things, they often separate inbound and outbound from, from how they manage their networks. So a lot of these companies will focus a lot on the inbound side of their network. It's a lot because a lot of times they have supply issues. It's the, it's the you know it's it's the start of the supply chain. So that's where the focus has has traditionally been. But we're seeing more and more a focus on that last mile as well. Um, and so always rounding out capabilities. And we have other strategies to 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 help build with that as well. But that was a a real excellent partnership. There's also you know, with these partnerships, cultural alignment makes a big difference as well, right? The companies need to be able to work together well and and have a sense of uh, of partnership, and, and it's worked out very well for us. So, tell me, when you're in the office, so you're probably not in the office anymore, but you know, when you talk to us, you say, you know, you know, what capability I wish we really had. I really wish we had. What would be it? What would be some of the key ones? Well, I mean, we're already starting down the path of, you know, going back to the labor allocation. We have a partnership with Zebra Technologies, and they have a number of solutions around labor allocation. Can you define labor allocation? So the ability to just decide when and where your employees are working, right? So the idea is, you know, not only the amount of time that they're working in the store, for example, using retail as an example, but also what are they doing within 
the store, right? Are they shopping shelves? Are they unloading trucks? Are they working with customers? That sort of thing. So that's a nice tie-in to what we do, right? It's a logical tie-in to say, well, if you know when the truck is showing up, you know when the goods are showing up, you can reallocate that stocking capability right, right mm-hmm. on the fly. But it goes back to the second part of your question is, yes, that is definitely part of our strategy going forward to figure out who the right partners are within the space. Because I think what you're going to see post-COVID is, especially within the retail sector, there's a lot more sort of openness or willingness to work with multiple partners to solve a problem, right? So if we can come in as the market leader and say, okay, we're going to pull together this, 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 right, and sort of mash it all together to the point where you now have a solution, right? That's something our customers have been asking for. And if we can play a role in that, then we benefit as a result. How about the same question for you? Well, I, I was just going to add something to to uh, to what Mark just said is, is one thing we're seeing in the world of enterprise capability is a, an eye towards what we experience as consumers in the, in the consumer technology world. So think of how you interact with your phone, right? Um, it's, you know, app-centric, app ecosystem. For a particular personal use case, you may use five apps to get at a result. And some of those apps may have overlapping capability. They, they may also be competitive. And so we're seeing, but they're all easily digestible, uh, you know, easy to to navigate. And we're seeing enterprise technology go in that direction. The days of the really big monolithic projects, they're ebbing. And companies are looking for things that are easy to consume, that fill gaps that maybe can be easily stitched together for use cases. And, you know, we're not entirely there yet, but it's going in that direction. So when I think about, to your question, where I'd like the industry to go and certainly Ford Kites to go is to be able to be that glue that helps tie these, these use cases together, you know, to create a, you know, I hate to use a cliche, but a true connected supply chain. And I think the only thing I would add to that is if you think about the huge amount of data that we're collecting on a daily, hourly basis, right? Um, no one wants more data necessarily, and that may sound cliche, right? Right. What they want are solutions, right? So what we're trying to do in our evolution is say, hey, we can serve up a lot of data, but we know that you don't want to look at another template, you don't want to look at another spreadsheet. But what we're trying to do is stitch together solutions that then result in action, right? So triggers to actually take care of a problem. That's where we're headed in terms of solutions. Well, maybe next year at the uh, Gartner Supply Chain Symposium for 2023, we can meet again and you can tell us how... The progress has been made on those issues. We'd love to. So, okay. We want to thank our guest today, uh, Fab Roska, the Executive Vice President of Industry and Market Strategy at Forkites, Mark Delaney, the Vice President of Global Industry Strategy for the retail, for strategy for the retail sector, also at Forkites. And they joined me here today from the floor of the Gartner Symposium, Gartner Supply Chain Symposium in Orlando, Florida. Enjoying yourself so far in terms of the conference? Absolutely. It's been great. So yeah. About 2,600, 2,700 people here. Yeah. yeah. So it's good to be back out in front of people again. Yeah. yeah. So uh, you've been listening to Drilling Deep. We are part of the Freight Cash family of podcasts from Freight Waves. You can find us on all the leading podcast platforms. I've been your host, John Kingston, and please join us again. Mm-hmm.